Welcome to the Oceans Church Podcast. We pray that as you join us for this message, you are blessed, encouraged and empowered to bring the kingdom of heaven into your spheres of life. Hey, come on. That's good. Hey, I'm excited for this message. So can I get you to turn to your partner and can you say, lean in? Turn to your other partner and say, at twice the volume, lean in. Awesome. Sorry for the people on the ends of your rows. That was a bit weird. We're in the second week uh, of our series, Legacy. Um, And this series, we've been focusing on the impact that God wants to have in us that's going to, you know, use us to impact generations. And we're also two weeks away from Heart for the House as well, Heart for the House week, uh, where we have an offering uh, into this house and really building this place so that it can be a place that... Uh, has an impact for generations. Uh, and so in Perth, we're really believing for a permanent location. That's our big thing. We want in Perth to have a facility that uh, we can you know, run programs out of during the week. And that's really what we're building towards this year. And so as you give for Heart for the House, it prepares the way for us to be able to move into our own location. And let me tell you the significance about that is when we're planted, when we have a permanent location, we're able to have a stake in the ground in the city of Perth, but also have an involvement in the community, have a place where people can belong to. And, um, you know, we're going to share more about that in future weeks, but it is an important thing to do and something that we're very excited about. So get ready for that. That's going to be good. It's going to be great to have a place to call home, a community to sow into and a stake in the ground. Uh, and we're going to invite you in the next three, uh, in the next two weeks to sow a seed. Sow a seed. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus describes it like a mustard seed. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and the birds come and make nests in it, in its branches. And so even this tiny seed, Jesus is saying, this tiny seed of faith, if you plant it in the ground, it will have an impact for generations. If you plant this tiny seed of faith, that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like this tiny seed, and when you plant it, it grows into something so great, so much beyond what it originally was. And so that's what we're talking about with Heart for the House. And so legacy, you know, in this season that we're in, legacy is something that is passed on. It has a long-lasting impact, has an impact far beyond us, far beyond you and me. And so we believe as each of us sow a seed, we are building a legacy for a generational impact beyond you and me, but to our children and to our children's children. We're believing that it's going to have an impact in the city of Perth. And so we're inviting you to pray about what God is asking you to give. Now, if you're here for the first time this week, or if you're new or you know, discovering this church, there's no obligation. This is an invitation only. Uh, and so just feel uh, completely released from this if you don't call Oceans home. But if you're a part of this family, we just want to invite you into sowing a seed and praying what God wants to do through you. Sow a seed and produce a harvest. You know, in our family, my wife, Ash, when we first got married, we had very different perspectives on heirlooms, family heirlooms, you know, heritage, legacy, all these sorts of stuff. I love keeping those sorts of things. In fact, I've currently got an Ancestry subscription, so that says a lot about me and how much I love learning about the generations that came before me. And so, and Ash is the complete opposite. 
she says they take up space, or she did say they take up space, and you know we don't need them. You know, just keep a fresh storage unit, and you know, we don't need anything like that. And I am so passionate about this that when when we first got married, when there were some family heirlooms being passed down, I decided to keep them in Ash's in Ash's family. I'm like, I'll take them, I'll take them, I'll make sure we have them. And we got this tiny miniature little piano that I've never even opened, but I'm like, I just can't bear to like it's this old wooden piano that's been passed down for a few generations. I can't bear to be the one that throws that out. And so, you know, we all have different types of family heirlooms, inheritances, things that are passed down through generations. Uh, They're all types of legacies being left. And, uh, you know, we can choose to leave so much or so little behind. Did you know that there's someone that left $12 million to their pet dog? Their pet dog's name was Troubles. Maybe that was foreshadowing something, but $12 million to their pet dog. And, and, and in 1968, there was someone that left the equivalent of $1 million to Jesus. And, uh, and if Jesus doesn't claim it within 80 years, it's going to be passed back to the crown. So it expires in 2048. So if your name is Jesus and you can convince the government that your name is Jesus, then you can be a millionaire. And, uh, but yeah, people leave stuff behind. But you know, in this legacy series, we're inviting you to leave something behind that's so much more than money, so much more than heirlooms. We're talking about leaving a legacy of generations transformed by the real Jesus. We're partnering with the living God to build something that won't just bless our children, but that will bless our children's children. It will bless other people's children. It will bless our city. And so legacy, when we talk about legacy, and, you know, we're coming into the heart of the house, and, and, you know, there is this financial perspective, but it's not just financial. In fact, God wants you to leave a legacy but not just a financial legacy. The greatest legacy you can um, leave, it's uh, a Billy Graham quote, says the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money, but rather the legacy of character and faith. Come on, how true is that? The greatest legacy we can leave is a legacy of character and faith. It's not your wealth you accumulate, but it's the people you impact along the way that is your greatest legacy that you'll leave in your life. You know, what you want the proof? Let's look at the greatest legacy that has ever been left, the, 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 the legacy of Jesus. You know, Jesus built a legacy that has lasted 2,000 plus years. He built, his legacy was not, you know, a, a land or a house or a building or organizations, but his legacy was left in people. Jesus built into 12 people. We know them as the disciples. He built into 12 people. They were arrogant, uneducated fishermen and greedy, selfish tax collectors And these people went on to change the world. They transformed nations, lives, uh, history, people. They transformed people. And, you know, it's through the church, which is not buildings, but people that we can leave the greatest legacy. It was the ecclesia, the people gathering for a purpose. That's what we are. That's what the word church means. It's the ecclesia. We are people gathered for a purpose. And he continues his work today by his Holy Spirit transforming people. Come on, he's still moving. He's still changing arrogant, uneducated fishermen and greedy, selfish tax collectors. Come on, he's, he's moving in the lost and the broken of this church. You know, people, freeing people from depression and drugs, setting people free, healing people physically, healing people mentally. You know, we've had in this past year, in this past, like since the beginning of the year, we've had physical healings. We've had literal scars being healed like within days. And, and that's what God is doing. 
There's relationships restored, marriages brought back together. Come on, that's what God is doing through his church. That's the legacy that he wants to have through us. And it's all through Jesus and his legacy, which is the church, which is us, the ecclesia. And this is what we are today. You know, Jesus' commandment when he left earth, he didn't say, you know, now my work's done, see you later. You know, whatever you do, it's all good. He commanded his disciples. He said, go out to the world and make disciples. Go and build into people's lives. Transform those tax collectors, those people that are just like you, those people that are lost and broken. Go send them the message of hope. And can I tell you that this is our mandate today. That's what Jesus is inviting us to do here today in 2023 in Oceans Perth. Come on. The Bible calls us a family but he also calls us an army. He calls us a family to belong to, but he calls us an army to go out and fight on behalf of others. You know, there are many great armies that have come and gone. One of the greatest was through a guy called David in the Old Testament. David was an archetype of Jesus. He was like a character that was similar to Jesus in many ways. And he built into men that were distressed and disgruntled and and in debt, and they became his mighty men. In fact, their name was David's mighty men. Imagine having a bunch of people named after you as mighty men. David's mighty men. And they were like the army of God. They were God's army here on earth. And David was a great warrior, not because he was a good fighter, but because he sowed into other people who were great warriors. And can I tell you, you know, that's what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants to be that person that turns us into a great army. He wants to take us from our brokenness, from our bondage, from our strongholds, and he wants to turn us and shape us and mold us for a purpose so that we can fight on the behalf of others. Come on, he wants us to be his mighty army here in Perth. And so he has called us to be like an army of God, and he will continue his work, the work of Jesus, through you and me. How crazy is that? Through us, we're continuing the work of Jesus. And that's awesome. But here's the catch, is that the devil knows this. The devil knows this, and he wants to take us off course. You know, the devil wants to take you away from your purpose. And uh, we can zoom into a parable that Jesus told, and it's the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, if you want to follow along. He said, a farmer went to plant some seeds, and he was scattering seeds on all types of soil. And, you know, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear from God's word But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. Jesus tells this story of seeds that are being planted in all types of soil. And he says, there are seeds that are being planted among thorns. And the thorns represent the worries of life and the lure of wealth. So if the devil can't get at your faith, the devil will get at your fruit. If he can't attack your faith in Jesus, he'll get at the fruit that you will produce. He'll get at your legacy what you leave behind. He'll undermine it. He'll take you off course. And that's right, 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 uh, sorry, that is what the devil wants you to be at. That's right where the devil wants you to be at. He doesn't want fruit to be produced through us. He doesn't want fruit to be produced through you and me. He wants us to remain in bondage and to never discover the the love and the grace and, and the new title that Jesus wants to place over us. He wants us to never discover the love of God or our children or the people around us to discover the love of God. It's like a thorn bush that grows up and it chokes our potential. That's what Jesus is describing it like. 
these things can come up. And although there's so much potential in that seed, there's so much potential in that, in that plant, these thorn bushes come up and they stop it and they choke it and they wrap themselves around it. God wants us to produce a great harvest. God's heart is that we could be used to make a difference in this world. Where we see brokenness, where we see pain, Jesus wants us to be able to be the answer. But it starts with a multiplied effect in your own life. It starts with a multiplied effect within you. Within you is the power to be multiplied, like a seed turning into a forest. Within you, there is so much potential, and it starts small like a mustard seed, but it grows into the largest garden. That's what Jesus is saying. It starts small, but it grows big. And so God wants you to leave a legacy that lasts. You know, church, a church that God is inviting us into when we live in, uh, that's a church that God is inviting us to live into when we live in faith. And so the devil hates the idea of your work being multiplied. The devil hates the idea of what you do producing fruit. And there are two ways that we can be distracted by this that, that are mentioned in that verse. The two things that come and rob our fruit. The two keys that prevent us from bearing fruit and that kill the seed. And the first one is being lured by wealth. The lure of wealth. Jesus talks about the lure of wealth so that no fruit is produced. You, you know, you might have accumulated a whole lot of wealth, some buildings, a great business, a few trophies, but end up with no lasting fruit or harvest because you have been lured away by the distraction, the lure of wealth. You know, the definition of a lure is to, uh, to be deceived. It's deception and delusion. It's a false impression made to deceive or cheat. You know, far too many of us are lured away by the seduction of earthly wealth at the expense of heavenly wealth. Jesus told this parable to warn us of this. He said in, in Luke 12, he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man uh, with a fertile farm that produced fine crops uh, said to him, sorry, there was a rich man who, with a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I do not have enough room for all my crops. And then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, that this, uh, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not to, leave, uh, not to have a rich relationship with God. How powerful is that story? You know, what's really funny about that is, it's not funny, it's actually kind of sad, is he only had one friend. He was talking to himself. His only friend was himself. You know, he believed that his legacy was in barns and barley at the expense of what mattered the most. He was lured into loneliness, no fruit lured into fruitlessness, lured away from what actually truly mattered in his life. You know, too many people have been lured away and distracted by temporal wealth, wealth instead of leaving a lasting legacy, a lasting eternal legacy. They are deceived by the lure of wealth. Jesus said, it is impossible to serve God and to serve money. It's impossible to serve money, but also serve God with your whole heart. The love of money actually leads to you despising God. That's what the Bible says. If you are in love with money, it leads to you despising God. And so wealth is not all bad. 
wealth is not something God doesn't want you to have. But in fact, we need wealthy people in this church, in the kingdom of God, to sow the seeds and see many more people change. But the test is, what comes first? What comes first? Is it your love of God or is it your love of wealth? Is it your love of money? Is it your love of things? You know, don't fall for it. If wealth is a Lord, uh, if, if wealth is Lord, it is a lure. When wealth is submitted to the Lord, it uh, loses its allure. And so don't fall from it. Turn from it. Otherwise, um, you, it will deceive you and lure you into loneliness and fruitfulness like that story. And there's this one antidote to deceitfulness, to the deceitfulness of wealth. And the truth is, it's a little bit challenging. It is to give it away. The antidote to the lure of wealth is to live a generous life. That's what the Bible says. It says in Deuteronomy 14, 23, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. That's why we talk about tithing. Kelsey came up, did an awesome message on giving and tithing. And that's why we do that. It's because it checks our hearts. Tithing, offering heart for the house when we're generous, even just random acts of generosity. When we put God first and trust Him with our finance, that is the antidote to the love of money. In fact, it's the most simple and practical way we can worship God. There's no other way that's just like, all right, I'm just going to make a very practical, physical decision right now, and my whole heart's going to be transformed as a result. You know, the Bible says, uh, where your treasure goes, your heart will go also. How crazy is it that you can make one practical decision and your heart will flow to that thing? Your heart will be transformed by that decision. Come on, it's one of the only ways of worship that does that. There is nothing else so simple yet has such a large impact on your heart. So you may not think, I'm, lured, I'm, lured by, I'm not lured by wealth, you know. I'm, I've got $10 in my bank account. Uh, and, and here's the proof, you know, like I'm not lured by wealth. But can I tell you, it's not, it's not the, uh, sorry, you can be lured by wealth without having wealth. You know, I've got 10 bucks in my bank account. It's all good. Meanwhile, you've got 10 afterpay payments. You know, you're late on your phone bill, uh, but you've got $10 in your bank. It's like, you, can, you don't have to have wealth to be lured by this thing. You don't have to have wealth to have it occupy your heart and your mind. Maybe it's the wealth in things. Maybe it's the wealth in money. Maybe it's, it's wealth in, in anything other than God. And so I think we can all relate to this, but we need a continual heart check. So when you take a deep look at your heart, I want to ask you the question. When you take a deep look at your heart, is it lured by money or the things that money can bring? You know, maybe you've given God every other area of your life, but you struggle to return Him His tithe. You know, honest, honestly, like as a church, we don't need your tithe. We, we actually don't need it. We trust in God uh, more than we trust in your tithe. That's, that's the truth. But the tithe is for you because it's a heart check every time you do it. Generosity is for you because it actually checks our hearts. It's actually such a freeing thing, an act of worship of God. And we teach it not because we need to. We teach it because Jesus told us to, the Bible said to, and we're following that. And so tithing is this freeing thing. You know, your heart follows your treasure. Tithing is just a practice. Generosity is a practice. It's a heart check uh, it's a practice with a heart check built into it. So the Bible says that God is no man's debtor. In other words, you can't give more than God can give to you. And, uh, and I just think that's such a freeing way to view the world. You can't give more than God can give to you. So even if you gave everything you had, God's still got even greater things to give back to you. And so we can trust God with this. Giving sets us free because it says, I'm not chained to my money. 
I'm not chained or, so, uh, or sold out to anything other than God's purpose for my life. And so the first way, according to Jesus, we can be distracted from leaving a legacy is the lure of wealth. It's the lure of wealth. But the second way we can be distracted from our legacy is we can be lassoed, we can be tied up by worry. You know, I said, crowded out, crowded out by the worries of life so no fruit is produced. We can be crowded out by the worries of, of this and that and all these things that are going on. You know, crowded out just means to choke. It's like they came up and they choked the, the legacy, the, the future potential because of worry. You know, I don't know if uh, any parents in this room can relate, but when your child is choking, you know, it takes your full attention. There's like nothing else. I like drop everything. I go and help. And it's, it's like choking just has this like, it takes our full attention. It takes our full mindset. You know, uh, it takes, yeah, the worries of life um, can take our full attention. And worries, you know, the definition means like to divide a part as opposed to the whole. Opposite directions, divided into parts, even pulled into pieces. Pulled apart. The devil wants to divide us with anxiety. The devil wants to divide us from our legacy with worry. The devil wants to divide us with concern and, and control over these things. And then we are divided. Wealth distracts, but worries divide. Worries shut us out and they make us want to take our attention off of God and what He wants to do in our lives and return it to the physical things that's going on. You know, it leads us to focusing on our problems so that we spend all of our time relying on our own strength rather than focusing on God's strength. And we miss out on the supernatural power of God simply because we're trying to fix it ourselves. You know, that's what it means. If we spend all of our attention on our worries, we actually miss out on what God wants to do in that thing, in that situation. And so, you know, anything can distract you from God's priorities. But Jesus wants to bring peace. In Philippians 4, 6 uh, to 7, it says, Don't worry about anything. In other words, stop focusing on what you're worried about and letting it choke, choke out your life, resulting in fruitlessness. He said, instead... Pray about everything. In other words, rather than putting your focus on the problem, put your focus on God to come through with the solution for the problem. It goes on to say, so don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. It says, tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then, only then, when we focus on God and not our problems, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. It defies logical reason. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. You know, that's the antidote to being choked out by the worries of life. Instead of worrying about it, pray about everything, everything that has a hold, everything that you feel choking you out, everything that's taking your attention that's just so noisy. If you were to pray about it, turn your attention to God, the Bible says you experience God's peace, which exceeds your understanding. It exceeds your ability, and His peace will safeguard your heart from the distraction of worry, from the distraction and the lure, the lasso of worry. So where on one hand worry divides you, God's peace actually makes you whole. It actually makes you whole. Peace means to join together, back into a whole. When all essential parts are joined together, that's the antidote of worry. So rather than becoming fragmented through worry, we are drawn together by the Holy Spirit into becoming a whole person as we lift our focus off of our problems. He lifts our focus 
our faith. Uh, he lifts our focus at, um, from our faith to our, in ourselves to fix things. And we lift our eyes uh, to focus on God and put our faith in Him who helps us. So there are two ways, according to Jesus, that we can be distracted by our legacy. is the lure of wealth and the lasso of worries. The lure of wealth that deceives us and the antidote is to make God the Lord of your wealth, of your finance, of your money. This blessing that God gave us to use for His purpose. To make God the Lord of that and the lasso of worry which divides us. And the antidote to that is to focus on God, to pray about all things and to allow His peace to come and make you whole. And uh, as we get the worship team up, I'm just going to talk about one last thing, one key to bearing fruit that lasts a legacy, fruit that lasts for, uh, for generations from this scripture. The, the key to bring fruit in Matthew 13, 22 to 23, it said, the, the seed fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as being planted. So there's these other soils that choke out the, the lure of wealth, the lasso of, of worry. But Jesus is saying the seed that fell on good soil, when you can have the antidotes to that at work in your life, the seed that falls on good soil multiplies 30, 60, 100 times. Come on, it has a multiplying effect. The key to a seed being fruitful is this. You know, Jesus, he entered Jerusalem and he, he knew he was about to be crucified and all the people expected him to be raised to glory as their king. You know, he would be the victorious king. He would be the one that would take the throne and defeat the armies of the, of, of the enemies and, and everything's going to be restored through Jesus. That's what they were expecting. But the nation, um, you know, the nation, he was going to take the nation as a victorious king. But however, Jesus knew that things would be different. In fact, Jesus knew as he was walking in and everyone expected him to be this glorious king that was going to save them. He knew that he was going to die. He knew this. He told his disciples in John 12, 24, he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. You know, Jesus, in that moment, they didn't know it then, but he was prophesying about his own death. He was prophesying about the fact that he actually needed to die. The key to Jesus' fruitfulness was the fact that he surrendered his life for all of us so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have new life. The harvest of new lives, that was not even, uh, not even that he lived. Like it's, the harvest of new lives, he had to die for. The, the, the price was his death. Jesus died. He was the seed that was buried to gain eternal life. His death brought us new life. And at the end of the service, we're going to have an opportunity to, to pray that prayer. If you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus, if you make the decision to make him Lord of your life, the Bible says he, he, he grants you new life. He died so that you could have new life. Your sin is washed away. Everything you've done against him is washed away. And you can receive new and eternal life. And so we're going to have that moment later. But it's the same principle for us. And 1 Corinthians says it so well. In 1 Corinthians 15, 36, it says, When you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. So here's the key. Here's the key to leaving a lasting legacy. The key to seeing life and bearing fruit and having a harvest that is opposite of the world. The world says, you know, live your best life. You know, make your money 
make yourself happy, make yourself comfortable. But the key to leaving a legacy that lasts generation actually begins with a death of sorts. It begins with a death of your old ways, of your own desires, of your own things. Now on the next line, John 12, 24, 25, it says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many kinds of new kernels, a plentiful harvest. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care for nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Now that's Jesus saying, hey, we need to part ways with our old ways of thinking. We need to part way with the old. We need to die in order to multiply. Our seed cannot grow in the ground unless it dies first. Its death grows into many more seeds, many more, uh, much more harvest. And so if you want to see a harvest of souls being brought into life like Jesus and have a harvest that, that lasts through generations, you need to embrace a kind of dying, a sort of death. You know, there's, there's, here's the practicals to death. It's putting aside your own agendas, your own desires and your own dreams and actually chasing after God's agendas, God's dreams, God's purpose for your life. You know, that's this beautiful thing is when we put aside our trust in ourselves to be able to make it work and trust God, that's when we actually receive this multiplying effect in the work that we do. It's like there's this grace upon everything we do. It has a multiplying effect. It's a good soil that returns 30, 60, 100 times. It's so simple. You don't need to be able to fix everything. You don't need to be able to sort out all those worries. You don't need to go out and hustle and make it so that you can be comfortable for your retirement. Like, that's all great. But when you put that aside and say, God, I want your plan for my life, that leaves a real legacy that will truly be a blessing for generations far beyond your life, but onto the lives of, of 30, 60, and 100 people, generations, families, cities. Come on. You know, another way of saying it is executing, putting to death your will execute God's will. Putting to death your will, executing your will so you can execute God's will. If you want a lasting legacy, you've got to die. In, in Mark 8, 36 to 37, it says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it because it's temporal. Our life is temporal. But if you give up your life for the sake, uh, for my sake, and for the sake of the good news, which is about Jesus, you will save your life because that life is eternal. So, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Come on, nothing is worth more than your soul to you. You are precious. God loves you so much. He wants you to be with Him forever. But He also wants you to be fruitful. He also wants you to bring this news to other people so that their souls can be saved. Come on, nothing is more valuable to God than the souls of people. The souls of the people you're around, the people in this city. Come on. But as far as we are concerned as, as oceans, as for us, we will never let worries, come on, we will never let worries or wealth pull us away from Jesus' mandate to go and make disciples. We will choose to die in a way in order to multiply. Die in order to multiply. Die so we can bear even greater fruit. Die to our, our old dreams, our old ways, our old desires to take on God's desire, to take on God's agenda and trust Him so that we can multiply. Now God's desire is very clear, clear that none should perish, that no one would go into eternity without Him. So He sent Jesus into this world to die so that we could all be with Him forever. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is sending us into the world to 
go and make disciples of all nations so that together we can bring in the harvest, so that together we can bring in the harvest through the Holy Spirit. You know, for me, I've been on a journey with this in many ways over my life in, in different, I feel like I'm always learning this, but just in different ways. For me, one significant time was when, uh, you know, I had to sacrifice my my savings, my finances, my ability to make money. That all had to die in order for me to be able to receive a blessing and actually have a multiplying effect. When I came to this church, I actually left like a reasonably well-paying job from the situation I was in. Like I was good. And I left that and I actually came into this church and for the first year, I didn't earn anything. And for the second year, I was on staff a day a week and volunteered full time. It was like just this crazy experience where I'd always had enough and I'd always like been able to look after myself. But it was just this wild journey of learning to trust in God in such incredible levels where now as a result, man, my faith is so built in God. I put aside my own dreams, my own agendas. I was probably what you would consider finance driven um, back in those days. But I put aside that in order to learn this new rhythm, my own agendas were shoved aside so that I could take on what God wanted me to do. That was more important to me, what God wanted me to do. And as a result, you know, I have a greater faith. My family has a story to rely on. It's going to change the way that we live our lives. It's going to have an impact on my children. It's going to have an impact on their children because of a lesson I learned of trusting in God over my own ability, dying to my own desires. Come on, on the other side of that, there is such great fruit if we can just learn at whatever stage you're in, if we can just learn that lesson of dying to our own desires and agendas to receive God, there is such great fruit in that. Come on, for some of you, it's a relationship that needs to die, that distracts. It's, it's priorities that need to die, that, that distract us. It's dreams that need to die, that are distracting us from what God is wanting us to do. Maybe it's pleasures and some even good pleasures in our lives that distract us. Maybe for some of us, it's just simply control and worry that are lassoing us, that are limiting us. It's like, we know we need to take this step, but I'm just so worried about what's gonna happen if I do. Come on, God's got you. In order to bear fruit, in order to bear a harvest, come on, we need to die. Come on, to get that harvest of 30, 60, or 100 times, we need to be planted. We need to, we need to part with those things receive what God has for us. Come on, can we stand tonight as we finish? Now, if you've been lured away by the deception of wealth, then can I encourage you, maybe it's time for you to turn and, and just to give. If wealth is your Lord, uh, is wealth is Lord, sorry, if wealth is Lord, it is Lord. When wealth is submitted to the Lord, it loses its Lord. So give your worries to God. Give your, give, your, give your control over your wealth to God and give your worries to God and you will receive peace. Come on, maybe it's time to re-surrender your life. Maybe it's time to lay something down, to even just make a mental decision right now. Maybe even like God's just prompting you to make a decision to even give right now. It doesn't have to be, but just maybe God's prompting you to do that. If that's a, if that's a thing, maybe God's just making, asking you to make a, a line in the sand moment to say, I'm not going to be lured by wealth. I'm not going to be distracted by the worries of this life, but I am going to chase after everything that God has for me. Come on, maybe it's time, maybe it's time to re-surrender, to sow a seed that you will see a multiplying effect for. 
execute your will in order to execute God's will. It's truly, can I tell you, my life has been truly satisfying. Can I just pray over, maybe, maybe that's you, I'm just gonna pray over you with every eye closed in this place. If that's you, maybe you just wanna even just lift your hands out. Just surrender, open hands, open palms to God. I'm, I'm, I'm letting go, my hands are open. I'm not tight-fisted, my hands are open. I'm letting go of worries. I'm letting go of wealth. I'm letting go of some dreams. I'm letting go of some desires. I'm letting go of, of wanting that relationship. I'm letting go of control. God, I want what you have. God, as I lay those things down, I choose to follow you. Holy Spirit, would you come and move in this place tonight? Come and move in this place tonight, God. I just pray, God, my heart, I pray that every soul in this room would have a multiplying effect. God, there'll be nothing that limits or caps the potential that you've placed on each person in this place. In the name of Jesus, God, we just pray for freedom to multiply. Their personal freedom will turn into a generational freedom. Personal freedom will turn into a workplace being set free, a sports club being set free, God. Come on, a year group being set free in schools, God. We just pray that there will be a multiplied effect from the place of this surrender, this re-surrender, God, as we drop our dreams, as we drop our hopes, and we pick up what you have for us, God. We just pray, would you multiply it in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. I just believe God's doing some stuff here tonight. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit, you come and speak to us if there are things that we haven't recognized yet. Lord, I just pray that they would pop up in our mind. Would you bring them to the surface? God, we tune into what you're speaking to us right now in this moment. Lord, we don't want to deal with any sort of bondage or entrapment, God. We want freedom. So Holy Spirit, would you lead us in that right now? Thank you, God. we just sing. God's done something in your life tonight. Lives of, of each of us tonight. I believe that he's, he's prompted something. And can I tell you, when you act on that prompting, there's freedom. There is freedom. It's not about anyone else in the room tonight. It's about you and what God is wanting to do in your life. Come on. Can we just thank God for what he's doing right now? Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you're speaking. Come on, let's make some noise. Thank you, God, that you're speaking, that you're moving, that you're dealing in freedom, that you're helping us leave a legacy. Thank you, God. Hey, we don't want to move on tonight without giving that opportunity for people to accept God into their lives for the first time. For many of us, we've made the decision. But there's some people in this place that have actually never had that line in the sand moment to give Jesus your life.
know Jesus gave his life for you. He, he actually died so that you could have eternal life. He, he just wants to forgive you. He loves you. He came to set you free. And, and this grace is for free. But in order for you to receive Jesus, it's like we need to die to our past, die to our old ways. And, and I guess sort of give him the number one position in our life. That's all Jesus asked for is that we would believe that he is God. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord of our life. So it's dying in a way to living our own way, our old way that hasn't led us very far. And it's actually picking up this new eternal life of grace and mercy and love and freedom. And so I want to give anyone in this room that hasn't made that decision or maybe has made that decision but just feels like they need to make it again, anyone in this room that feels like they need to make that decision, I want to give you that opportunity with every eye closed. What we're going to do, the Bible says you can just believe in your heart and confess with your mouth you will be saved. That's all God wants. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want you to pay a subscription. It is about your heart. And so with every eye closed in this place, if that is your heart, you want to make that line in the sand moment, can I get you to raise your hand as high as you can, just so I can know who I'm praying for? Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's a rededication. Maybe there's been a journey since you've been in a church before. And you just feel like this is the time. This is the time. Maybe there's a prompting on your heart that the Holy Spirit's just tugging away. If that's you, just raise your hand nice and high. I'd love to pray, pray with you. Awesome. Well, I'm just going to pray this prayer over each of us. Maybe there's someone online. And God, I just pray for everyone in this room. Maybe there's someone even that just made that decision in their heart but didn't raise their hand. They're not quite there to raise their hand yet. But God, thank you that you see the heart. Lord, I just pray that, that, that anyone in this place that is exploring you, that's making that decision in their heart, that you would fill them with your presence. God, that they would be saved and, and redeemed and set free from the things that hold us back and slow us down. And God, I just thank you that you deal in freedom. Over each of us, God, you deal in, in freedom. That freedom starts in us and it's multiplied through us, God. And Lord, I pray that that's the effect that we have through this series and this season. Would you give us eyes to see the opportunities that you're laying out in front of us? Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Oceans Church podcast. For more information, visit oceans.church.